You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Listen, there is a lot of sports to get to, but we're not talking about hard knocks or Dak or Luca's deal or Michael Thomas or anything until we get to the most important news of the day. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive and Fitz, according to the internet, which, as you know, is never wrong. Ross and Rachel are together in real life. We got Jennifer Aniston. We got David Schwimmer spotted together, canoodling, hanging out, spending time together, dating. Stop everything, Fitz. This is the biggest news we've had in years. I mean, uh, you're not wrong. Like, I I looked at that and I thought, how can this possibly, especially given the fact that at the reunion that we all saw on HBO Max, Mm -hmm. there was a little bit of a conversation where they were like, no, we didn't, no, we didn't. And Joey sort of threw him under the bus. So I feel Mm -hmm. like Joey said, yes, she did. And now we're finding maybe they are. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to process this. Like, this should lead to maybe a spinoff show of its own. Like, I'm all in for all mm -hmm. of this. Honestly, it's been so long since I thought about Ross and Rachel together, even despite that reunion, because they were like, it was a long break. We were on a break! (laughs) We know, like a decade plus, like multiple marriages. But the reunion fits, and as someone pointed out on Twitter, it did seem like maybe a little bit of a horny reunion for a lot of folks. Just getting back together, maybe remembering, you know, sometimes behind the scenes. You know, you know what I'm saying. You're you're talking about remembering the hibbity-dibbity and wanting to try it again. Uh Especially when you've got like, I mean, we're in a world where, you know, uh, what Ben Affleck and J-Lo are back together, right? Like, I mean, why not at least uh, dip your toes back in the water? Yeah. I'm all in for this. I'm Look, especially if it results in new shows. Like, uh, if they're going to have a relationship, then give America what we really want, which is a new peek into Ross and Rachel today with their real chemistry being part of their on-screen chemistry. I mean, HBO Max should be in this now. I should run the They company. absolutely should. You should be an executive producer for it. Yeah, the reunion. Okay, so they played Lovers on TV for 10 years. That's a whole lot of necking, even if it's staged and everything else, right? But then they talked in that reunion and since about how they crush really hard on each other and they both were like always in a relationship and the timing was every night. We're like two ships passing in the night, but three decades later, reunited at this and this get together and here we are spending time at Jen's home where she's cooking dinners in the evening and they've enjoyed quote quality time together chatting and laughing also spotted drinking wine deep in conversation as they walked around one of Jen's favorite vineyards in Santa Barbara where it was clear there was lots of chemistry between them mm. I mean at some point is there some element of all of this from Ross and Rachel that ends up being like a dream come true. This never works out. That's all I keep thinking about is it never works never out. Never does. Well, especially Ever. for Jennifer Aniston in general, although it doesn't work out for him either, but we never talk about that because only women get to be spinsters who are constantly looking for the one and men just get to enjoy relationship after relationship. I want to ask our listeners in light of the news that uh, Ross and Rachel might be together in real life. What famous TV couple, and let's just stick with TV Uh, do you wish would get together in real life? I've got to think about that one because my brain goes to like old school and people that don't even really make sense together. Like, like for whatever reason, I was obsessed with the show Moonlighting. And so I, I, I feel like I would just want Sybil Shepard and Bruce Willis to be together, which is like the most dated reference ever. But that's just what popped into my head. I need to, I need to think a little longer about it. 
I, look, I've got one. Co- if you want a couple that needs to be together, this one, this answer to me is so stinking easy. It's not even like this is all going straight back to my childhood. I need Kevin and Winnie from the Wonder Years to really have actually worked out and still be madly in love. Ooh, Ooh like that's, it. that's a good one. Isn't Winnie one of those ones, though, that in real life she's like a rocket scientist? Yeah, like she's a math person. Yeah, right. I just don't know if that would be someone who would actually be a good fit. But uh, we'll do some digging on that. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Let us know at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz, uh, what TV couple of all time you want to see dating in real life. Speaking of being on a break, it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Dak Prescott still on a break, and it's not because of the break that we all witnessed in real time last season that he's been recovering from. It's that shoulder injury that's still preventing him from being active. And Damian Woody, ESPN NFL analyst, a little bit concerned about what that means for Dak and the Cowboys. No, we're running out of time. He's missing a lot of reps in training camp with his wide receivers, and um, he doesn't have anything behind him at the quarterback position. So this is very, I'm very nervous about the uh, Dak Prescott and this Dallas Cowboys offense right now. Fitz, are you concerned? I mean, at this point, we wouldn't, the public, be seeing a whole lot of Dak anyway, but it still says something that we're not far out from the real season happening, and we're not even talking about the incredible damage done to the leg last year. We're talking about the shoulder. Yeah, I think the the, the fact that it's another injury is concerning for his health, but what it means for the Cowboys, I, I mean, nothing to me right now. I mean, I understand that he needs to get some reps, and, and we all want that for him to feel as comfortable as possible, but... I'm not going to go that there's any real need for him to be out there. I mean, Amari Cooper's just coming back from injury himself. And yeah, they could use some practices to get some timing together. They could use maybe a little bit of game rep. But if we see him for one series in the preseason, isn't that enough? I mean, realistically, as long as he's healthy going into week one, that's all we should be worried about. I don't think rhythm matters that much in this situation. Yeah, I guess I'm not as concerned about the rhythm. He's not a new quarterback. It's not, you know... Uh, a brand new offense or anything. Uh, thankfully, they did have a year uh, with 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 the new coach last season. I just, for me, there's so many question marks when it's this brand new 160 million dollar deal that he's playing on, and he's not taking football contact. Uh, just kind of walking through um, the ankle is a question for when he actually takes hits and gets physical, and the shoulder is as well, right? I mean. This just makes me curious when he goes out there for whatever his first physical contact is, if that's in a regular season week one game, how comfortable and confident he'll be running, playing on the move, rolling out, putting a ton of weight on that ankle, getting hit, getting sacked. Like that's the issue where it's not that you need to see him to know that he can run the plays. It's that you wonder if he's comfortable and if that first first game is going to be a little bit of a mental block for him. Yeah, that is a really good point in, in the sense that, you know, we all know that you got to take that hit and you got to get that rhythm uh, going. But at the same time, for Dak, I just there's been such familiarity and such comfort in the in the end. There's never been a gap. There's never been a time when he struggled, per se. You know, so I, I look at all of it and think as long as he can take a hit, which is he's going to have to get through that at some point. But that doesn't make me think one way or the other that has to happen week one or week three or the Cowboys season is going to be terrible if he doesn't get that out of the way right out of the gate. So I feel like there's some middle ground on all of this with Dak that will work itself out. And one week into the season, if he looks the way we all think he'll look, it'll be just fine. 
Yeah, he was on pace before that injury last year for record numbers, up to 5,000 yards, 40-plus touchdown passes before that injury. Now you can't say for sure that things would have gone as they started, but uh, certainly a lot to be hopeful about with him if he can stay healthy. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Speaking of the Cowboys, hard knocks starting back up again tonight. We revisit Dallas and the Cowboys, Jerry Jones, Dak, Zeke, all the guys down there. And it had me thinking, Fitz, of all the seasons of hard knocks, if anybody out there has one all-time favorite moment. So we're going to ask you on Twitter. At the end of the show, we'll put together maybe a little top five of all of your top five all-time hard knocks moments. At Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Let us know. We'll tell you what you said later. It's a Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, we return to a segment we've left alone for far too long. Bite me! It's next. <laughs> You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. So far, the best response I've seen to the television couple you'd really like to see get together in real life at Jeff Norman 90 just sent a, a gif of of Norman Cliff Clavin from Cheers. <laughs> 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 I don't know that there was ever any romance, but maybe there was subtext there and it was just too early for them to go public with. It. So I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Uh, actually, and that would be a really fun twist would be same sex television folks that if the show was airing today, they probably would have been at it. And it just was too early for the show to address the obvious chemistry between them. Uh, that's a fun twist as well. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. A while back, way back in the day, we had a little segment where we would pull notable sound from athletes, coaches, people in the sports universe and share it with you. And we cleverly named it. Bite me, hey. That's right, bite me. B-Y-T-E. <laughs> We uh, we never stop bringing you the best of the best here at Spain and Fitz. Just too clever. Uh, let's start with uh, someone that I've heard a lot of sound from, Mitch Trubisky, now with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I fell into this organization, and uh, I loved it ever since coming to Buffalo, just working under this coaching staff, being with the caliber, the type of players that we got here, the people, um, and using all the resources. And it's just really nice to be a part of a great team and um, be somewhere where people want you here and, uh, and they care about how you're progressing as a person, as a player. Welp, uh, yeah. that certainly sounds like a shot directed back at the Bears, doesn't it? No, I mean, it's a thousand percent a a shot directed and it's a little surprising. I mean, it's thinly veiled, right? But I Mm -hmm. love the aggressiveness of it. I mean, he's got to come out at some point and change whatever the narrative is about him, right? So maybe this is his way of trying to do that and saying, hey, you know, reminding people uh, that everybody wants support and everybody needs to be in the right system. So, you know, at some point you go into sort of save yourself mode and I feel like that's what he's doing. No more Mr. Nice Guy from the fresh-faced young QB. Uh, He had his best season in 2018, uh, the first year for him and Matt Nagy together, and just didn't really get better the way most had hoped. He wasn't great at reading defenses. He was inconsistent with his accuracy, and the Bears didn't always use him the ways that best suited him after an injury in that first year. Stopped sending him uh, uh, throwing on the run, and rolling out, and and that's where he thrived. And it did feel like maybe football IQ and the ability to read defenses was always the sticking point for him despite some bright moments. So if he's got the love of the game back and the Bills are somewhere where he's truly wanted and they care, then I'm happy for him. Uh, 
I don't know if it's just a different situation, though, Fitz, when you go somewhere where you know you're going to be backing up a starter versus fighting for that position and having your your role, you know, lost to Foles and then gained again. Um, that probably sets you up a little bit differently. So maybe he's just ready to take on this backup role with a bit more optimism. It's Bite Me, Spain and Fitz. Bite me, hey. The king of this segment will forever probably, for as long as he's employed and not sure how long that's going to be. We'll find out. Uh, Lions new head coach Dan Campbell, who's already talked about, you know, biting kneecaps and a variety of different things, including, I think, wanting a, a lion to be at the field and take a dump somewhere to shoot, show that, you know, I'm not really sure, to be honest, but we're sticking with the fecal theme. Here's what he had to say today. I do believe we have some talented players on this team that, that have plenty of grit. That's a good thing, you know. Look, I, I think there was a number, I've said this when I walked in, there was a number of guys that were here. And I, I think Patricia Quinn did a great job of, there's no turds here. There's no bad guys. Like, these guys work now. <laughs> you know, we don't have guys, uh, I'm lazy, blah, blah, blah. We don't really have those guys. You know, there's no turds uh, here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, I love a good turd drop. I think it's an underused word to describe people. And his point is that, you know, if you have three straight losing seasons and you're not super successful, there's probably going to be some turds in there. And for whatever there's reason, no turds here. yeah, for whatever reason, he has identified a lack of turds. I guess we'll find outfits when they actually take the field if there are any turds or turd like play. I mean, at some point, if people start to play poorly, does that mean that they developed into turds or he just didn't <laughs> properly analyze the turdage uh, from the start? I'm not really sure that is or should ever be a word that I use again. But, you know, either way, I'm kind of here for it. What are you turds is about to get smacked in the mouth? Hey. <laughs> he also uh, said that they're resilient um, and, you know, if, if, he's, if he's got a guy who had a bad day, he said, quote, you know, I'd rather have that because I know what I'm going to get every day rather than the guy who's, wow, what a flashy player. And then the next day he's down in the dumps. Mm. Get it? Dumps. Yeah. There's no turds the here. Yeah, I was making another turd joke there. It's Hopefully bite me. It's it was not whoever's fits. number two. We had Robert Sala, who is trying to explain that it's going to be a tough road to hoe for any rookie quarterback. Zach Wilson struggling so far in training camp. Uh, I think he was maybe 10 of 17 today, six sacks, an interception. Um, has not looked super sharp. They don't really have other options there. And I think that this is Robert Sal essentially telling Jets beat writers, fans, and otherwise to have patience. But I don't know if I'd go the route of comparing my rookie quarterback to a Hall of Famer who was just inducted. Here's what it sounded like. For most rookies, for especially on the offensive side, but for everyone, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It just it is what it is. There's just a lot of things that happen. I mean, there's there's a reason why being a rookie is hard in this league. There was a Hall of Famer yesterday that was conducted in that had a 71 quarterback rating just rookie year. It's not easy to play quarterback in this league as a as a rookie, especially quarterback. But uh, but it is it is going to get worse before it gets better. And, but he's at that point now where he's going to be able to stack up days. And, we got all the utmost confidence in him and his ability and his ability to figure out uh, mistakes and correct them and get to a better place. So Fitz, I'm cool with him kind of at least laying the groundwork for people not freaking out if it's an ugly go uh, when Zach Wilson gets started. I just, I just do think there's a little bit of a risk in comparing him to a Hall of Famer. And 
in rec- not recognizing that it is a very different game than when Peyton Manning came out and struggled hard in his rookie season. Yeah, it, it feels like the messaging here has been a little all over the place uh, at this point, and I'm not sure what they're trying to accomplish or what he's trying to accomplish when he's talking about him. I mean, at some point, he's got to basically step back and decide what what we're asking for. Are we asking for some level of patience uh, with understanding of the weapons around him? Are we apologizing for the way he's playing? Or where, like, what what exactly are we asking right. for this early? I, I, I guess I just keep expecting Coach to come out and say, you know what? We're not going to worry about it. You don't worry about it. And it's never that simple. Here's what Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN NFL front office insider, said about Zach Wilson's early struggles. We don't necessarily even know what the coaches are asking out of practice. So they could be saying, hey, we want you to work on downfield throws to your left. And regardless of what the coverage is. So, you know, there's a massive amount of context when we're trying to evaluate players at practice. Now, look, if they're getting yelled at or if they're taking laps for either mental or physical mistakes, that's one thing. And there's going to be growing pains. We're not in Provo, Utah anymore. We're not playing Boise State. You know, we're playing the varsity now. Like, it's going to take some time. Okay, unnecessary shade at Boise State in order to make the point. But the point stands. Uh, It will take some time. We don't know exactly what they're working on or asking him to do. Can't freak out about a player who looks great in training camp or terrible in training camp. Have to wait and see. And I'm okay with him telling people to be patient. I just don't know if I would have thrown out Peyton Manning. All right, last bite me. me. Carmelo Anthony talking about coming to the Lakers said this is about a championship. Here's what he said. This is the one thing that I'm missing. Right. This is the one thing that it, it, it keeps me up at night. It motivates me uh, because I don't have it. George Carl retweeted a, a, a quote, that quote uh, on Twitter and said, and it kept our coaching staff up at night a decade ago when we were stressing the importance of team play and defense, uh, which some people thought, wow, okay, coach. And someone responded to him, Mello won a college championship as a freshman, a gold medal, one of the greatest Olympic basketball players we've had. We'll finish top 10 ever in scoring. We'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Guess that's nothing, though, huh? And George Carl said, I've said it before, one of the great scorers the game's ever seen. He's a Hall of Famer. His jersey should hang in Denver. He wasn't a team first player or good defender here in Denver, and it upset us when he asked for a trade especially after i was sick and so it is Mm, mike dropped by george carl there coming up we're gonna go camping with the saints it's next on spain and fitz you're listening to the spain and fitz podcast hello mother hello father here i am at camp granada camp is very entertaining Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz. I never get tired of the music. That is great work. Uh, Great idea by Sarah. Great work by Stosh. All right, let's go camping now with uh, suddenly the most dramatic team in all of the NFL. It looks like the New Orleans Saints. We'll head over to the Goodyear hotline. Amy Just, Saints reporter for NOLA.com, joins us there. Amy, really appreciate you hanging out with us. I'm trying to make sense of what's going on with Michael Thomas. I mean, how did we get here between the team and their star wide receiver that things suddenly seem so dysfunctional? Yeah, so we've got to take it back. Uh, Thanks for having me on, by the way. We've got to take it back to y'all remember the fight that he had at practice with CJ Gardner-Johnson, and he had some words with, Sean Payton, I think that's where it starts, other than, you know, the injury itself that happened in week one of last year. I think that's where it starts. Um, He was suspended for a game 
could he have played on his ankle? I guess we don't know. But that's where I think it starts, and it's kind of deteriorated from there. Uh, Sean Payton called him out a little bit in the pre-training camp press conference that he has every year, saying that, you know, point blank, his surgery should have happened sooner. Uh, My colleague, Jeff Duncan, uh, got this story this weekend that Michael Thomas didn't answer phone calls from the Saints staff. Uh, His position coach, Sean Payton, the head of, you know, the athletic training staff, uh, didn't answer anyone's phone calls all off-season long until he had to return to minicamp, and that's when they realized that he needed surgery. So, yeah, and it's not done. Uh, Michael Thomas tweeted in uh, Tronic Sands, which, again, was a choice, <laughs> that, uh, I mean, it's fine. That was not the weirdest part about that, but, you know, said that uh, – you know, the Saints essentially tried to damage his reputation. Of course, he didn't say that explicitly. He said it very cryptically, as he tends to do, um, about a lot of things, right? Even innocent, harmless things he's cryptic about. So the direct quote was, they tried to damage your reputation. You saved theirs by not telling your side of the story. Thomas has not given an interview to us since the end of the 2020 season. So, I mean, if he wants to tell his story, I am more than happy to listen. I know a lot of people are more than happy to listen. Um, But yeah, it's been this kind of dramatic back and forth uh, between Thomas and Peyton and the Saints. And yeah, I don't know where it goes from here other than Mike liking tweets that uh, are are about him, you know, being the good guy in this situation. So, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen here, but it's definitely turning into a strange storyline, that's for sure. Yeah, a lot of drama for Michael Thomas and the Saints. Amy Just is with us from NOLA.com and the Times-Picayune from Saints Camp. Um, There's plenty more questions that could be asked about that, particularly what could come next, but I think it's a little bit of wait and see right now just how much that Mm -hmm. post and how much the team uh, wants to react to it publicly or not. Let's talk about another piece of drama. Cornerback Patrick Robinson telling the team he's retiring. 11 season the NFL, Super Bowl title, former first rounder. This was already a team struggling at this position. How big of a deal is this, and what's the next move for them at cornerback? Yeah, so this was a... a a must position, as Sean Payton likes to say, even before uh, Patrick Robinson retired today. But now it makes it even more pressing. You know, Patrick Robinson, Robinson yes, he turns 34 next month, but he has starter experience. He's, he was the oldest guy on the team. And, you know, 11 seasons, Super Bowl champion with the Philadelphia Eagles. It's it's not great. There's not a whole lot of depth there, even with him in the fold. And now it's, it's even less. Uh, Ken Crawley uh, was taking snaps with the ones uh, today. And then the days where uh, P Rob had uh, taken veteran rest days. So yeah, it's nobody really expected that Sean Payton even said he didn't expect it, but when you know, you know, and if P Rob feels it's time to walk away, then it's time to walk away. And I respect him for that. You know, he's been great to us ever since, you know, I've started covering this team and uh, I wish him the best. 
Amy, I can't believe we've gotten this far in and haven't asked a question about the quarterback position. I mean, there's no Drew Brees, what? and we expect no. great things from Jameis Winston, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, so where are you now, having seen Jameis and seen where the team is, even with or without Michael Thomas, God only knows. How confident are the Saints right now in their quarterback position? Yeah, so right now it feels like a dead tie. Um uh-huh. I think that they – I know, I know, I'm sorry, but it is. So, uh, so far in camp, 11 practices, Taysom has completed 66% of his passes with three interceptions and two touchdowns, and Jameis has completed 70% with three interceptions and three touchdowns. That's just in full team drills because it's impossible to try to chart, you know, one-on-ones and all of that when that's not necessarily on the quarterbacks. So, yeah, they worked on some two-minute drill today. Uh, but I really don't think we'll figure this out until the preseason games start. Uh, the Saints' first preseason game is Saturday in Baltimore. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Amy Just of NOLA.com and the Times Picayune about Saints camp. I've sort of been asking everybody this because I like to get some insight uh, that we maybe don't hear nationally as much locally or even just uh, in your camp notes outside of the obvious three that we've hit. What are the big strengths or weaknesses that this team is really worried or or excited about as camp rolls on? I think the strong suit for this team is their offensive line. Uh, They return most of their starters, including, you know, all pro uh, right tackle Ryan Ramchek. Uh, season veteran, multiple pro bowler on the other side at tackle in Teron Armstead. They've got a really great center in Eric McCoy, uh, Andrus Pete at uh, left guard. He did leave practice early today, so we'll see what happens with that. But he's a multiple pro bowler too, and they're really high on their right guard in uh, Cesar Ruiz. They drafted him in the first round last year. I think that regardless of who's under center, is going to be beneficial for the quarterback and the running game, frankly, too. Uh, that's that's the, business, the position group I'm highest on, and it's a good position group, but when when that's your, your strength, it can be a little worrisome if that's what you have to dig to. Amy, before we get your season prediction, we'll do that in a second. I just got to get your mindset on what the expectations are for a team that every year for several years has come in thinking it's Super Bowl or bust. What's the mindset of where expectations lie for this Saints team? That's still what they want. Um, You know, what you want and what you can achieve are obviously two different things, but this team still has really high expectations, even with all of the roadblocks and hurdles that they've had to clear in the offseason with the salary cap situation and now with, injuries and retirements and all of the above. I mean, we didn't even talk about how the Saints, you know, essentially have lost their kicker for the foreseeable future. He had surgery today. Um, It's just the hits keep coming. uh, And uh, I, I have a different uh, viewpoint than the guys on the team do, but they have to be positive. They have to keep their spirits up with this because if they don't, that's not great. So, but yeah, I, I'm predicting at least right now, uh, seven and 10. I know that's not what people want to hear, but 
I don't think the drama with this team is over. We don't know how long Michael Thomas is going to be out. Uh, their starting defensive tackle, David Onyemata, will be suspended for six games. Marshawn Lattimore, their star cornerback, might be suspended at some point due to his offseason arrest. Uh, that still hasn't been resolved. Their all-pro uh, punt returner, Deontay Harris, might be suspended because he was arrested la- uh, earlier or last month, excuse me, it's August now, um, for a DUI back in his hometown of Baltimore. Like, this is... There's a lot going on here that just goes past the Michael Thomas drama and the quarterback situation. And I'm not hopeful, um, especially because their depth because of the salary cap situations is not very good anywhere. It's great stuff, Amy. We really appreciate you hanging out with us. Check her out on NOLA.com and also the Times Picayune. We appreciate you. Amy Just. Hey, wait. We need her season prediction, fits. She just said 7 and 10. Okay. I want to make sure that that's her official one because she knows that seven there's going to be 10. winners. Yes. There's going to be winners for this, seven so I don't want to trap you into thinking that it's a throwaway. It's being written down right now. That's fine. That is okay. the one that I All gave right. our columnist, too. 7 All and right. 10. I'm walking All in right. multiple places. Perfect. Look at that. All right, locked in, Amy. Thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So if you were listening to Spain and Fitz last night, we addressed Luca's new contract with a bit of a shrug. We were happy for him. $207 million is a pretty nice payday. I especially liked how he immediately talked about applying some of it to a foundation, building courts back in Slovenia, helping out in the Dallas area. But we both kind of said, yeah, that's what we thought was going to happen. He was going to stick around. They were, of course, going to pay him. He earned the rookie Supermax, and we'll move on. Didn't move so quickly when we had the same conversation on Around the Horn today. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And Bomani, Izzy, Clinton, and I were all on Around the Horn today, and it started with the little... One of those, you know, throw away. What does this contract mean? And is he the young player you would most want to build around? I'm thinking, duh. Like, maybe you could talk to me a little about Zion or Trey, but I'm going Luca all day. He's 22. Look at what he's already done. Not everyone felt the same way. Here's just a little bit about it as we go after the horn. You've already gone around the horn. But what happens after the horn? Find out now on Spain and Fitz. Even this year with uh, with Luca, you're talking about Kyle Lowry was a target. They had salary cap space to sign somebody. Couldn't get him. Kyle Lowry picked Jimmy Butler as a teammate over over Luka Doncic here. So it makes you wonder if they're looking at it like, well, maybe he's too young. We don't know what he's going to play like with another superstar teammate because of that usage rate up at the top of the league with Joel Embiid. Um, we really don't know. And if you want an example of somebody who has played beside him, Chris Depps Porzingis. Not really really been the player that we expected him to be with Dallas. So I think there's a lot of question marks there, but at the top of the list is there aren't really a lot of free agents clamoring to go to Dallas, even if Luka. I don't know why I would want to play with Luka Doncic necessarily. As he points to it, it's not just the high usage rate. We don't know what it will be like for somebody else to play alongside him. We saw James Harden when he became super high usage rate guys. They brought in guys to try to play with them. None of them wanted to keep trying to do it. So, yo, if you're Dallas, this is what you give a go because we've seen Luka as the one-man band do some incredible things while losing in the first round of the playoffs. 
Kristaps Porzingis not being that great is not an indictment of Luka to me. It's who he's been his entire career. They need to put someone legitimate next to them, and then we could see the proof of concept that you can have a second option and another superstar with him. At the age of 22, doing what he's already done to argue that his usage rate or his dominance of the ball is a reason to believe that he can't be paired with another superstar ignores all the other times we've used that argument when we put people together and then watch them make each other better. I absolutely would be building around Luka right now, and I do think this is a destination now that they have him wrapped up for a long time. Okay, there's a lot there. And again, we like to play a little after the horn. We hit the button and then Fitz gets to chime in. Of all those things, Bomani, Izzy, me, did you have uh, a takeaway, Fitz? Yeah, the takeaway is that you just destroyed them in the argument. I mean, <laughs> sitting I knew there you were and using, take my side. <laughs> I mean, taking Porzingis as some sort of an indication on whether anybody can play with Luka is absolutely insane. And, and let's be real, the great players, when they need to do more, do more. I mean, look at what we've seen from Steph Curry. But does that mean that Steph Curry and Klay Thompson can't play well together, that they can't form a backward you want to tell me that somebody like Bradley Beal couldn't come over and share the spotlight should it be necessary with Luca and they couldn't find a way to make each other thrive like Luca has done what he has had to do in every situation which is be the guy and I'm not going to turn around and suddenly fault that as say that's a reason nobody can play with him we didn't make that argument when we saw people struggle around Giannis in fact when Drew Holiday came in and played incredibly well with him it's like oh look at how good this can be like you've got to look at it and say what have they put around Luka and if the answer is not enough because none of the players they put around him would be epic players on a championship caliber team so I'm not going to take any of that as an indication of Luka I'm going to take that as an indication of Luka's ability to step up that's what you want the best to do I'm looking squarely at the rest of the stars in the NBA saying hey if you want to form a big three do you not want a guy that's capable of being a good ball handler a good shooter capable of taking over the game but also capable of sharing if need be I think Luka can develop into that just like they doubted Luca's ability to develop into who he is today why are we now doubt, doubting his ability to, to develop around another superstar player in the NBA it makes no sense for me Fitz and it's Spain and Fitz Sarah Spain Jason Fitz he's just so young he's 22 years old so the idea that because we haven't seen it yet that means it can't happen is absurd to me yes you do need to see Dallas prove that they can bring free agents in both Izzy and Bo gave some great examples of the Dirk Nowitzki era when he was winning those titles in spite of them not really pairing him with a great star Jason Kidd in his 17th season is is one that came up so you do need to prove Mark Cuban and the rest of the Mavs that you can go out and grab what you're looking for. They came up second in the Lowry sweepstakes. You know, they kind of ran it back, re-signing Tim Hardaway Jr. They added Reggie Bullock and Sterling Brown, but none of those big, big names. And now they're sort of in a situation where they have to figure out um, in order to really be able to spend, they've got to get Bullock and, and Porzingis contracts to expire, which is summer of 2024. Again, though, Luca's only 22 years old. The conversation turned to comparing him a bit with James Harden, which is what Bo said. I'm not against comparing their games. They have very similar games. But I'm not going to use the argument that every time James Harden has been partnered with another ball-dominant guy with a high usage rate and it hasn't worked out and they haven't re-upped to run it back with Harden, that that means that's what happens with Luka, especially at his age. So people coming in my mentions saying, you don't agree that he's Harden. No, the game is very similar. 
But what's the attitude? What's the work ethic? What's the ability to adjust the game when you do get paired with someone that has a skill set that you need to complement? I want to see it. And I certainly am not going to take a guy who has already accomplished so much and presume at the age of 22 that the that the athletes out there in the NBA don't want to play with him. There is one aspect, Fitz, and that's a question mark about getting along with his coach and his GM and making sure that you know he's not calling the shots in the way that feels uh, oppressive to other teammates. The way we've heard, you know, sometimes the way Kawhi runs things is a little bit too self-serving and asking for special treatment. We don't know that that's what's happening with Luke yet, though we do know that he's had some behind-the-scenes say about personnel. I would like to have a lot more proof that people don't want to come play with them and that they wouldn't be excited to partner up with them than what we've seen so far, which is a very small sample size. I'm going to go back, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, to the usage rate stat that everybody is talking about, and rightfully so. But I went to statmuse.com and I looked up usage rate. Luka Doncic, number one in the entire NBA. That's fair. Just behind him at number two at about 1% less, Steph Curry. I don't think mm-hmm. anybody's saying you can't play with Steph. At number three, Bradley Beal. Nobody turns around and says, oh, Bradley Beal's a problem. You can't play with him. Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell's at four. Trey Young at five. Devin Booker at six. Giannis Antetokounmpo at seven. And Dame at eight. None of the rest of those players are faulted for their usage rates because it's all seen as a necessity of how their team wins. I have a hard time taking the argument one way for a group of players and then suddenly arbitrarily flipping it because that's something that can hold Luka down. I won't do that. Yeah, when we talked about the Nets putting together the three guys with high usage rates in Durant, Irving, and Harden, you know, ball-dominant playmakers, all of them, and we didn't get to see a ton of the three of them together last year. That happened very rarely. But there were question marks and positives, and the early questions about how they could all play together were quickly drowned out by people who were certain it was going to be Lakers, Nets in the final that they'd figure it out. And they did look good together. We did, of course, not get a fair share of it with them uh, alternating injuries and absences. But, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're with me, Fitz. And, and again, th- this is not to say that for sure the Mavs are going to make this work. But now that you have a destination and you've got several years guaranteed to have him there, if they can't pull some good free agents to come play with them, then somebody better start digging as to why. Because it can't simply be about usage rate or, or you know being ball dominant when we've seen plenty of other players in the league be paired with somebody and find vastly more success. Um, that, that narrative doesn't fly with me unless you can really prove it. Uh, you, uh, I got nothing. I got nothing. Got nothing. You just have to, All right, you, let's move on. That was like a reality rig job. That's I mean, right. I should have won is what we're saying here. Thank you, Coach. You know what? I'll take him down if you want. Uh, well, no, Thank I you. I appreciate that. Again, I like as I pointed out before, if anyone needs to get beat up, I should probably just do it myself instead no, of sending you. If I'm I more conniving right. than you are. That's so, true. like, I'll come up from behind. You're very sneaky. Yeah. Why? Why? It's Coming up, we're going to go camping at an interesting training camp. It's the Houston Texans coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We're doing something that no other show in the history of radio is doing. Training camp previews. All right. That's the the (laughs) innovative thing. But I'll tell you this. We might do things that other people do, but we do them in interesting ways. Darn it. We're going to do it different. We're doing it by going camping. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. Let's go camping with Spain and Fitz. All right, the camping tour now is taking us to absolutely, I would say, the most 
eye-opening, interesting, what-the-hell-is-going-on camp in all of the NFL. That's down in Houston. So we're heading over to the Goodyear Hotline where we're joined by Sarah Barshop, ESPN Texans reporter. Sarah, let's start with the obvious. I mean, what are the Texans even really capable of doing when it comes to Deshaun Watson? You know, it seems like they've been playing this way in sea games, and that's kind of what head coach David Cully has said this whole time when we've asked about Deshaun Watson. He said, you know, we're doing this day by day. He hasn't given much of an answer, but the NFL has put no restrictions on Deshaun Watson, and so he's kind of gone out there, done his individual drills, hasn't taken part in a team period yet, and he's there at practice, and I guess you could say he's practicing, but it's nothing like you would expect him or any number one quarterback uh, to practice, you know, at during training camp. Sarah, one thing I've heard people complain about is the fact that the NFL hasn't put any restrictions on him. What we often talk about that commissioner's exempt list is, is usually saved just for actual competition. The weeks of regular season games, you get paid, but you're out. Um, they could obviously create something new or apply something different. Does it feel like there's been communication with the team or with Deshaun Watson about whether there will be a shift in approach from the league once it does become actual game time and they have to decide if they want someone with that level of allegation against them out in uniform on the field? Yeah, the Texans, um, I'm pretty sure, thought that there would be some action before the start of training camp. I think they expected the NFL to take the decision out of their hands. They didn't even know if Deshaun was going to report to training camp the night before. And so... I think they're kind of done looking to the league. You know, they felt like the league hasn't taken action yet, which I think puts it a lot on them. Now, I think one interesting thing to think about when you look at the commissioner's exempt list is that, yes, there are these lawsuits, but there have been no criminal charges yet. And I, I'm curious if the NFL feels that they haven't had access to all the material, um, to the, the information the police have gathered, they, ha- they haven't talked to all of the plaintiffs, kind of what the the line is where do you say, okay, you're going to go on there now, and then what if nothing changes? What if there has been no resolution to these lawsuits? Because we know that this process can take a long time. And well, so and also no charges, but there have been criminal complaints. There have been criminal allegations filed with the police, which are outside of the lawsuits, which are not criminal in nature. So I think it's worth noting that because while he's not been charged yet, he has been uh, or he hasn't been convicted yet, he has been charged and, and accused of a criminal matter. Right, and what's really important to me and what stood out to me when I saw when I heard Rusty Harden say this is that eight of the ten women he said that have talked to HPD, two of them were not either of the women who filed a lawsuit, mm-hmm. not any of the 22 women who filed the lawsuit. So it's unprecedented for the NFL. I'll be interested to see what step they take, but I think right now the Texans know it. they might not get help from the NFL in making this decision. Okay, so if they get no help then, Sarah, and the NFL decides not to make any decision and we still don't have any movement on the criminal investigation as we go into week one, what do they do with Deshaun? You know, every time throughout this whole offseason, I've said, well, that wouldn't make sense. They wouldn't do that. We've seen some of those decisions. So I don't know that the Texans are going to do the logical thing here. I mean, I think they feel like this is a tough situation. I find it hard to believe that he'll be on this roster for week one. He hasn't been out there in training camp. He has these lawsuits. They haven't really given an update on him. Um, But I also wouldn't have thought he'd be out there practicing. So the the short answer is I don't know. um, And I don't know that the Texans do either. And that's maybe part of the problem. 
Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Sarah Barshop, ESPN Texans reporter as we go camping with the Houston Texans. So that's a massive storyline, and I can't imagine what it's like covering the team and either deciding on a daily basis to try to reframe the same question in a different way or just ignore it and try something else. What's another big storyline that's kind of hovering over this team outside of Deshaun Watson as camp gets underway and gets going? I think you look at this defense, and J.J. Watt's gone, the face of the franchise, and I think you look around at this team and you say, who are the young playmakers on defense? Who's going to step up? For a leadership role on defense in J.J.'s absence, who's going to make plays? Who's going to get to the quarterback? And one of the guys that has been pointed out a couple times by coaches is Justin Reed. He's going into his fourth season. He had a great rookie year for the Texans, but he didn't really show up on the field last year. And he was telling us he thinks that he really likes Lovey Smith's defense. He thinks that's very aggressive, and he thinks that's going to make a big difference in getting to the ball. Now, the Texans were last in the league last year in takeaways. They had nine total. And that's something Lovey Smith has told us. Players have told us that Lovey has impressed upon them how important it is to take the ball away. And so we've seen the defense fly around during training camp, and I'll be interested to see what happens during preseason games when they're facing someone else and see if that carries over from practice to a game. Sarah, how different is the overall vibe, energy, culture under Coach David Culley than it was in the past? You don't see him out there yelling at his players as much as we saw Bill O'Brien. But I did see him get fired up. Uh, They played a scrimmage on Saturday just against themselves. And there were a couple of pre-snap penalties, I think three. And after he came to the meet, we saw him chewing out players on the field and he came up to talk to us after. And you could tell he was really upset about that. And someone said, that's the most negative we've seen you. And he said, yeah, you know, that's something that really bothers me. But I think the point is, in general, he's been very positive. You see him out there talking to players. Players have said that they really like him. They like the energy he brings. Um, And so I don't know if it's better or worse than under Bill O'Brien, but I would say it's definitely different and maybe a little bit more positive. Sarah Barshop with us talking about a Texans training camp. Um, We saw, of course, Watson finally in pads. Is there anybody else that either through injury or otherwise uh, you haven't really gotten much of a look at that the team is is ready to get in there and and is going to be a big focus for the reporters and the team uh, getting getting a good look at him in camp? Actually, no, and that's something that I'm sure that the the Texans are knocking on wood as they hear this, but there's really been no injuries in camp. Guys have been healthy. Um, We've seen some full practices and I like today Bradley Roby was off Jordan Akins was off and I think that was more just a veteran day but they've had some really good health during camp and David Kelly was telling us how much that's helped them I mean obviously every team wants to be healthy but he said he felt like he's gotten a really good look at this team because the guys have been out there and they've been able to show some consistency because they are out there this whole camp all right well Sarah one thing we're making everybody do too early give us their season prediction what do you got what's the season looking to look like Oh, I think it might be a long season for Texans fans. I think I saw the over-under was four, four and a half. I would probably take, probably take the under. Um, and this, there are, there's some talent on this team, but I just think you look at the team. They won four games last year with Deshaun Watson, and I think you take him away, you take J.J. Watt away, and this could be a rough year for the Texans. So we're, are you going to put down three and 13? Three and 14. There you go. Three and 14. All right, Sarah. Three and 14. game. It's been noted, Sarah, as always, we appreciate your expertise and, uh, and all of your knowledge on what's going on there. Thanks for hanging out with us. Great to talk to you guys. 
Sarah Barshop on Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. I'm not sure the road ahead looks very good right now for Texans fans. too. Like, yeah. just so many questions. Tough for everybody. Um, just there is not a clear-cut answer to what's down the pike for that team. I don't know how you plan. Well, I'm planning up for what's next. It's called Olympic Gold U.S. Women's Volleyball Captain Jordan Larson going to join us next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Joining me now in the Goodyear Hotline, USA Women's Volleyball Captain, tournament MVP, helping the U.S. to Olympic gold in Tokyo, the very first time for women's indoor volleyball. Captain Jordan Larson with me. Jordan, first, congratulations. So many amazing photos and videos and highlights from that. You are now uh, the owner of the trifecta. You won gold this year, silver in 2012, bronze in 2016. Did it feel different even throughout the early rounds of the tournament, or was it not up until that very end that all of a sudden there was a marked difference between grabbing gold and the other medals? Um, it did feel different. I think for for me personally, I felt just so present, and I I just I wanted to leave everything out there, every chance that I had, because I knew that this is probably going to be my last tournament with the national team, and so I was like, what? what legacy do I want to leave? And like, how, how can I help this team? You know, cause some of these girls were there for the first time and how can I help this team and show them, Hey, like this is our shot. And you know, you may not get another one. So like, let's just leave it all out there. So it was, it's pretty, it was pretty special. Fifth oldest volleyball player in U S history to be named to an Olympic roster. Did we get the calls of grandma? Did you feel older either in the lead up to the yeah. games or once you got there and you were competing? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think the one of the articles that I read before we left, it was like, it, the youngest player is 23 and the oldest is 34. <laughs> and I was like, do we really need to say that? <laughs> so, yeah, no, but they, uh, my teammates for sure gave me a little bit of uh, uh, crap, but otherwise it was, it was all fun and uh, just honored to be able to be a part of it and to be as healthy as I was, honestly. Jordan Larson of the USA Women's Indoor Volleyball Team, gold medalist in Tokyo here on Spain and Fitz with me, Sarah Spain. I need to hear about this nickname, the governor. Where does that come from? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I grew up in Nebraska where Nebraska volleyball is like super popular in the state. And we were in Thailand. I think it was like my second or third year on the national team. And there's a guy standing at that line, like waving his hand and had a big red shirt on Husker Sean. He's like, Hey, I know your dad. And my really good friend, uh, Faluka that's on the team. She was like, are you kidding me? Like we're in Thailand of all places and you know, you're still getting recognized, you know? And so she had told her brother this story and he was like, I mean, she's basically like the governor of Nebraska and Faluka is one that like, I don't know if you have friends like this, that she will just call you the nickname yeah. and like, she will have everybody call you it so until you start responding. And so that's kind of how it started. And um, honestly, it was, it stuck. And I changed my Instagram handle as a joke and now I can't change it back. So it's, uh, it's here to stay. So I love it. I, you know, I actually have my, my husband and some other friends that like casually hasn't stuck, but we call him the mayor of a variety of things, super social and kind of, I love my husband's that. always the mayor of Wrigleyville. Cause when we go there, he knows everybody around the Cubs games, but the governor is a step up from mayor. Honestly, yes. yeah. that's, that's state level <laughs> that you're operating at. Um, and definitely, I don't know if, if he would be recognized in Thailand, although we did run into a friend in the middle of Istanbul. 
school. So perhaps we are are qualifying for for the honors as well. Um, I love that. And I do love that you've got a friend that can make it stick because you love a nickname when it's just organic and you don't have to push for it. It just becomes natural. Uh, In Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain talking to Captain Jordan Larson of the U.S. Women's Indoor Volleyball Team Tournament MVP now owns a gold, a silver and a bronze. You know, when you're not on Team USA, I read about you being on the advisory board for Athletes Unlimited and I remember talking to some of the softball players uh, last year when things were sort of falling apart in fast pitch and they were trying to figure out if they were going to reestablish as Athletes Unlimited. And now it's blown up into all these different women's pro leagues across various sports, including softball, indoor volleyball and lacrosse. Tell me about why you wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, um, well, I've been playing professionally now for 13 years and I it's been tough, like being away from family. And, you know, I think all of our dreams as uh, a players is to have a league in the States. And when I first met John and Jonathan and uh, they met with us at USA Volleyball, I was like, this could be our shot. Like, this is like, it seems like it's like something legit and like we can get behind it. And so I was like, and I was kind of closer to the end of my career. Right. So maybe playing it overseas for a long season wasn't necessary. And so I was like, hey, I am all on board. Whatever we need to do to get this off the ground, like, I'm all in. So I just, I've been just so stoked, and it was such a fun season to be a part of. So do you think that you will take advantage of that in in continuing to play for as long as you can with Athletes Unlimited and locally? Because I know you said you you think that was it for you internationally after this Olympics, or is there a part of you that says, I don't know, if I can get gold, maybe I got another couple years, try again. Yeah, yeah. No, everybody's joking when they're like, it's only three more years. I'm like, yeah. Three more years after you're 30 is a lot, you know, <laughs> so it's, uh, um, but you know, I, I am going to play in the second season um, and that's in the spring. And so, and honestly, I'm just going to kind of take it, you know, season by season and decide from there. And um, just to see how long I, I do want to start a family at some point. So kind of want to make that a priority and, and kind of lean that way. So we will see kind of what's next, but as of right now, I'm playing in the second season and then kind of, see what's to come after that. Jordan Larson, gold medalist with the U.S. Women's Indoor Volleyball team with me here on Spain and Fitz. Um, it was really cool to read about Karch Karai's reaction and when what he talked about winning this particular medal as the coach of the indoor team meant to him. I'm a huge beach fan, so when I lived out in L.A., I used to uh, caught the tail end of Karch. Uh, I was around more for, like, the Eric Fenoy Moanas and, and that group. But, I mean, Karch is the king of beach and then went over to the indoor side and has been leading the way over there. How is he as a coach, uh, especially understanding when your coach has been at the highest levels of volleyball as a player himself? Um, is he relaxed? Is he cool? Is he beachy? Or is he uh, putting the screws in? Yeah. Um, so I was lucky that I got to have Karch as assistant my first quad. And so I really got to know him. You know, sometimes as a head coach, you know, they have so much logistically going on that they don't really, they rely on their assistants a lot to connect with the athletes. And so I was able to kind of have like in-depth conversations just about volleyball and like learning about his mind and, you know, how he functioned as a player. And so having that perspective and then obviously having him as a head coach is fantastic. And uh, he, he, um, I would say he's a mixture of beach and indoor. Like he's definitely like doesn't say a lot maybe during practice, but if there are plays that should be happening, like he's like, Hey guys, like let's, uh, let's snap out of it here because <laughs> you know, he, he understands what it takes to be at the highest level. 
Uh, Jordan, before I let you go, I have to ask about the stuff outside of volleyball, whether that's the food or getting a chance to talk to and hang out with other athletes or the sights. What were some of the cool parts of going over to Tokyo for the Olympics? Um, just the whole experience. Like, I think one of the coolest things is that the Team USA, right, like we all – train in different locations, right? Track and field in one location, water polo, you know, all that the athletes are in different locations and now we come as one and then we get a walk in opening ceremonies today. It's like such like an inspiring like thing, right? Like all these athletes at the pinnacle of their career coming together and, and like representing like a bigger whole and Obviously, this country has been through a lot, right? I mean, everybody has been through a lot in the last year and a half. So I think it, it represented a little bit more this time of just the weight of it and how cool it was that we are still able to play and, and do what we love. So, Yeah. And it was this constant sort of balance of recognizing the, the larger struggles for the globe and specifically for Tokyo, but also recognizing the achievement of these dreams for so many of the individual players out there, including you guys, and you did us all proud, gave us lots to cheer for. So congratulations on closing out that trifecta. Thank you. Thank you so much. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We asked two poll questions at the beginning of the show, and it has just been coming fast and furious, all sorts of responses responses ever since. Um, Fitz, the first one we talked about was this, this right before the show hit. I look over at the Twitter trending, and I see that it says that David Schwimmer and Jennifer Aniston are dating. And all of a sudden, everybody's brought back to incredible Friends nostalgia. We had just popped back into that mode during the Friends reunion special where they got together and told a bunch of stories and took us behind the scenes. We've got Lopez and Affleck. We've got Aniston and Schwimmer. Everything old is new again. Somebody get me some bootcut jeans and a... And a and a I don't even know. Just it we feels on a break. Thank you. A long break, but it feels like they're together again, Fitz. And it got us talking about TV couples we would like to see together. I'll give you a list of some of the top responses that I really enjoyed. We already mentioned Cliff Craven and uh, Norm from Cheers. Um, handful of people said Roy and Keeley from Ted Lasso, which is a great one. Just, well, I, I haven't watched the new season, but I feel like we're going to get more romance over the course of the new yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. yeah you will. You will. Uh, Lorelai and Luke from Gilmore Girls. I don't know if I picture the actor and actress specifically. They're actually getting in it together in real life, but their chemistry on the show was totally, uh, totally inspires that answer. And I'm, I'm here for that one. Uh, Zoe Deschanel and Jake Johnson from The New Girl got a couple votes. Can totally see that. That felt very real. Tons of Scully and Mulder. I never watched the X-Files, did you? Well, me either. No, I wasn't into that one. Nope. Everybody's into that. Shelley Long and Ted Danson is a Cheers throwback. Um, I thought about, I I thought that. about yeah. that, but like, I don't know. Shelley Long just wasn't, as a character, the most likable person. Yes. And Ted Danson was, so I, I know that was part of the dynamic of what worked for that show. But I started right. re-watching Cheers re- recently, and I just, I don't know. Like he was. Also, Shelley Long and Ted Danson in real life, it does not work for me. She no, no, just yeah, doesn't. I mean, Ted Danson still has major BDE for his age, and I just don't see that working. I, I just, I, I, and also I think we all know Ted Danson's real love, and we love them together. So it's like, why would you want to split 
him and Mary Steenberger, Steenbergen Virgin up. You know what I mean? No, yeah. They've been no, together forever. Why are we breaking that up? Point. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, Steve Urkel and Laura Winslow? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, I don't see it. I'm so sorry. Even Steve Urkel, uh, Stefan Urkel, I, I don't see it. Um, Fleabag, this is the one, at Shelly Toolis. This is the one that I was like absolutely 100%. Hot Priest and Claire from Fle- Fleabag. Did you watch that show, Fitz? I did not watch it, but I'm familiar oh with it a little bit. Oh, my God. The chemistry between those two was unbelievable. Like, like absolutely perfect answer. And also very short two-season uh, series that you need to just start watching and get into it. Because it's you know, incredible. I'll give you one that I just uh, popped in my mind as I was thinking about this. As a huge Friday Night Lights fan, I really needed mm. like Coach and Tammy Taylor to actually be a real item. Like, yeah, I'm people said that. that. Yeah. She was yeah. dating the quarterback in real life. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Wow. Connie That's... Britton was dating the guy who was playing her, not her son, but the quarterback, the like young guy in real life. Wow. Good for so her. yeah, that throws it off. By the way, worth noting, Hot Priest, uh, a.k.a. Andrew Scott, is gay, so... Uh, we probably shouldn't try to ship him in Fleabag, but the chemistry was off the chain. I don't know. I, I'm I'm here for it. Uh, Phil and Claire Dunphy, people are into for Modern Family. Bert and Ernie, I think we've been talking about those guys for a while. I bet that mm-hmm. is already happening, even though they're puppets. Uh, Corey and Topanga for Mangie Bear's fan, Dad Man. Um, a lot of people liked, liked that one. Jim and Pam and Zach and Kelly, to me, are the ultimates. Obviously, Fleabag and the Hot Priest, but uh, again, that might be a problem. I don't think he's into girls, but... Jim and Pam and Zach and Kelly. Who says no? I'll I'll give you Zach and Kelly as maybe a, a sneaky one seed in this. Like I didn't really think about Zach and yeah. Kelly, and that one belongs like to this day. You know, you, I, I think the two of them together would look like the right couple. Like I, I'm all in for that. Yes. Yeah, that, that's. I also that's I really do think guy. that I would not put Pam and Jim together in real life. Also, again, because we're so familiar with with Jim's real life wife, uh, so that throws it off. Um, but Zach and Kelly, that feels like it always should have been. Just it should have been in real life. Uh, there was also like 11 teen people from Gossip Girl that actually did date in real life. So it's hard to keep track of which ones <laughs> might still be dating or at one point were and it didn't work out. But some people suggested some Gossip Girl. Uh, so thank you for your answers on that. Um, also, some folks, I apologize if I did not know the show that you were referencing. I'm behind on a lot. I've never even seen uh, 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 Game of Thrones. So my bad. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We also asked you about the best moments ever in Hard Knocks because Hard Knocks 2021 gets underway tonight. The Dallas Cowboys bringing their star power, pun intended, to the 16th season of the HBO show. Uh, We, of course, have seen the Cowboys here before, so what's new? Uh, Maybe Jimmy Johnson and the Pro Football Hall of Fame will be a part of this. Jerry Jones... Uh, that terrible half hug that they had together. Drew Pearson, Cliff Harris, also getting gold jackets. We'll talk about the Hall of Fame stuff, I'm sure. Lots of focus on Dak and the injury, trying to come back and the shoulder ailment. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott's always kind of a quirky dude. Uh, will be interesting to see what he gets into. Uh, Fitz, are you looking for anything in particular with this redux of the Hard Knocks Cowboys thing? Yeah, this one's actually kind of tough because they've been on it a couple of times, right? So now just trying to find something new and interesting. But I am interested to see sort of what the relationship feels like between the coaching staff because I'll continue to go back for Cowboys Mm -hmm. fans to say that they believe that the termination of Jason Garrett was the termination of all of their problems. So 
Mike McCarthy mm-hmm. now has a year there, a little bit of a, uh, an opportunity. Wasn't to sort well of received. His culture. Yeah. Right. Like, so who is it now? What's their relationship like? I think that is the one thing that we can actually take away with substance from this uh, this year's Hard Knocks. Yeah, absolutely worth uh, keeping an eye on that relationship and the relationship, obviously, between McCarthy and the players there. That's going to be a new look for this season. We asked you for the all-time best moments in the history of the show, and you guys reminded me of of some great ones. Uh, A couple that came out uh, that did not make the final poll that I just put up on Twitter, at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. You can vote from the top four uh, that got got suggested, but Slizzard Lizards and... Who names their baby Carl? I don't know if you remember that, but I just like, like random. That was, of course, Carl Nassib, who now we know as the first openly gay active NFL player. Um, but uh, just the, just the who names, who names their baby Carl from, uh, from who was it? Todd Haley who said that, I think. So I, I do so, like yeah. the idea of that. Uh, so that was a good one. Um we got Chucky, of course, your guy. Touch wood if you're with me. Uh, that, oh, yeah. Knock on wood if you're with me. Knock on wood you. if you're with me. I'm knocking. Me. Yep. And then, um, and then, of course, anytime you got uh, the impressions of Chucky throughout that se- that season, that was one of the highlights of that one. Um, Marvin Lewis trying to explain uh, to Chad Johnson how banks work made it into the final mm-hmm. four. A lot of people were really invested in Ocho Cinco learning how banks work. Also him, uh, all the different phrases that he that he pulled out. Uh, basically, Will Fork and his overalls came up a lot. Yeah, a lot of that's, people that's were really a, into a strong Will one. Fork's. Vince Wilfork's overalls. Uh, William Hayes, if you remember, openly saying he didn't think dinosaurs were real, but he did believe in mermaids. Uh, that's a deep oh, cut, okay, okay. if you remember yeah. that. Um, the coach of the Browns, Bob Wiley, whenever he said hut, hut, his belly would move up and down. That was a big <laughs> fan favorite for people. Um, can I call my grandma at Scooter Brownola? So that, that's one that always sticks with you. Anytime there's someone that got cut and there's this emotion. Uh, but the final four that you guys most commented were Ocho Cinco learning about banks. <laughs> Antonio Cromartie listing his kids and struggling to remember how many he had and what their names were and how old they were. All-timer. Uh, All-timer. The Ravens rookies impersonating Shannon Sharp. And then Rex Ryan, let's go get a GD snack. And the voting is early, but right now my choice is winning, and it's Antonio Cromartie listing his kids. Also worth noting, he got a vasectomy after that and then had more kids after that. Like, that sperm is Power. so strong. I know. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.